You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me add to the welcomes that you've already received this evening. Uh, Welcome to church, particular welcome to you if this is your first time with us. We are so glad that you are here. Uh, My name is Dave. It is my honour to serve as the lead pastor of this church. Uh, And before we dig into God's word, a little bit of family news. Uh, Peter and Taylor Hill have welcomed their second daughter, uh, Audrey Marjorie Hill, on Thursday. That's worth a round of applause. They were, I think they were here last week. They've been here the last couple of weeks with us at the 5.30pm service. Uh, and so we thank God for uh, continuing to grow families within our church family. Hey, I've got some good news for you tonight. You ready for this? God speaks. Isn't that incredible? Why don't we pray and ask God uh, to illuminate the word that we've just heard read out uh, and that he would work powerfully through us. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, may we never grow weary of knowing the truth that you are a God who speaks. Thank you so much that we are not left to guess what you are like, but you have revealed yourself. And so, Father, we ask that you would give us faith to receive the word that we've heard, and that by the power and the supernatural illumination of your Holy Spirit, you would give us understanding to know what it means, and that you would put within each of us the will to put it into practice. And Father, we pray this boldly and confidently because Jesus is alive. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hey, have we got any Grand Designs TV show fans out there? We've got, we've got a bunch. We've got a reasonable number. Uh, it is a, a TV show, Grand Designs, uh, that kind of tracks the journeys of some fairly ambitious building projects. Uh, up on the screen is uh, what has been considered the saddest episode of Grand Designs ever. Uh, this is the finished product. Uh, in Devon, uh, Devon's not that processed meat you had on your sandwiches as a kid. Uh, Devon is uh, on England's southern coastline. And uh, this design here was supposed to be incredible. It was a refurb of a, uh, an old cottage and it was kind of in the 1950s art deco uh, lighthouse style. Uh, included a 20 meter infinity pool, you can even kind of see that. Uh, it may fill up with rain from time to time. Uh, it was to have all of the rooms and all of the trimmings with a spectacular view out over the ocean. And yet, as the story was told, there, were, there was a snowballing of problem after problem. Now, the reality is every single grand design project has some type of problem and some type of complication, but this was a mammoth uh, complication and disaster. Uh, They began filming and tracking with this story uh, in 2011, and they finished the story here uh, eight years later in 2019. Eight years, spiralling costs, delay after delay, and this project cost the owner of this building dearly. Six million pounds were wasted uh, into this project, Uh, He lost his marriage in the course of this 
event and this project. Uh, the project, both during and then after, was hated by locals. Uh, the aftermath of it, uh, this is what one local said, from the water, it looks like a North Korean missile bunker. Total eyesore. Uh, and I read this weekend that as of 2022, uh, the owner is now trying to get it on the market and uh, trying to get £10 million to try to recoup some of the costs from this disaster. In over 20 years of grand design television history, this is considered to be the saddest ever episode. Building projects can be a disaster. (laughs) Now, perhaps that's a warning for you before you set out on a Renault project of your own. But interestingly, one metaphor in the Bible for the church is that it is a building. Specifically, a house. And we kind of meet the grand designer of that house. His name is Jesus. Now, some people may look on at the church, at this spiritual house, and think, gee, that is a disaster. Uh, And sometimes it might look quite messy. Sometimes it may even look sad. But here's the truth. Jesus is building his church. And so an important question to consider as we consider what Jesus is doing to build his church is this. What place do I have in the church? I'm not just talking about me, I'm talking about you. What place do you have in the church? Have you ever asked that question before? And I think it's an important question. Uh, Some of you may have asked that question and your conclusion, well, you feel that you don't fit in. You don't fit in particularly socially and you don't feel like you fit in spiritually. Some of you may feel inadequate to be part of the project and part of the action. You know, some of you might be reluctant to commit to being part of this building project uh, because you've been hurt by previous church experiences. You know what, some of you may have even been hurt by your experience in this church and now you're kind of off on the sidelines and you're, you're cynical about the whole thing and would rather stay at arm's reach. You got the question though, what place do I have in the church? And we ask that question in the midst of the baggage, in the midst of the mets, and even in the midst of sadness. But if tonight you are a follower of Jesus, this is what I want you to hear. You do have a role in the church. And you have a role in this church. You know what? You may struggle to fit in in every other sphere of your life, but you belong here. You have a place here. What is your role? What is your place? Well, this might be a little bit shocking, but you ready for it? You are a priest. You're a priest. Now, I'm not sure what comes to mind when you hear the word priest, but you're one of them. You are a priest. In our text today, it says that all Christians, verse 4, are part of a holy priesthood, and verse 9, are part of a royal priesthood. We are priests. You are priests. Turn to your neighbor and say, I am a priest. That was good. Good interaction. Good interaction. Now, you say the words, I am a priest, and this language might feel a little bit strange, archaic, foreign, religious, 
but it is language that in its context we should embrace the role of being a priest. Now, the role of being a priest in the Old Testament was a really important role. Uh, Priests served the Lord on behalf of the people, uh, working in the temple, offering sacrifices for sin. Now, the role of priest in Old Testament Israel was not open to all people, but only to a small number of people, in particular from the tribe of Levi. Now, the type of priesthood that, that we belong to while it has some similarities, is actually very different once we arrive in the New Testament. But here's the thing, some of the background to this language of a royal priesthood, uh, a holy priesthood in the Old Testament, reveals this. It reveals that even though there were specific priests with a specific role in Israel, the nation as a whole was also supposed to be priestly. In Exodus chapter 19, Exodus chapter 19, it says this in verse 5, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. Verse 6, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. God has just rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. His mighty and outstretched arm has brought the nation of Israel into existence from darkness to light, from slavery to freedom. God has rescued a people for himself and they are to be a treasured people and possession belonging to God, they are, their calling is that they would be a kingdom of priests. Not just the individual priests within the people of Israel, but the whole of Israel. God's people were always supposed to shine the light of God in the world. God's people were always to even serve the world by pointing the world to the Lord God, the true and living God, the God of Israel. Now, for those of us uh, living this side of the New Testament, uh, even, I guess, to understand a bit more of how to apply these things to ourselves and our role as priests within the church and what it looks like from the Bible, it's worthwhile looking at a time in history when the church this side of the New Testament, had an unhealthy practice regarding the role of priests. Uh, This is Martin Luther. There he is. He's got a fantastic haircut. He was a German priest. Uh, And this is him. Uh, He had some issues with the church of his day. Uh, And this is him with nailing some issues to the church door in Wittenberg in Germany. Uh, And I've seen some of you nailing your issues with the church to the door on the way in. And so I've seen those, we've noted those, and we are working on those. But here's the thing, at the heart of some of Martin Luther's Reformation battles in the 1500s, at the heart of a big part of that lay a distrust of what the priesthood had become in the medieval church of his day. You see, the Protestant Reformation was taking place in Luther's time and around Luther, and he himself was a key catalyst in the whole Reformation. But the goal was not to create a new church, but actually to reform the medieval church. 
that the church of his day would be more shaped by the Word of God rather than the traditions of the church that in many ways had moved on from the emphases reflected in the Bible. Luther um, spent a lot of time even focusing on 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, and he argued and showed from Scripture that all believers, because of their union with Jesus, are part of a holy and royal priesthood. That all believers could be counted as kings and priests in God's kingdom. This became a distinctive teaching of the Reformation. And kind of the headline was, The Priesthood of All Believers. The priesthood of all believers. And now, in kind of this whole language of the priesthood of all believers, the goal was not to do away with all forms of leadership within the church. That clearly wasn't the goal, and we'll continue in 1 Peter. By the time we get to chapter 5, we'll even spend some time talking a little bit about leadership within the church. And so Luther's goal was not to lower the bar for the priests and the clergy and the leadership within the church, but rather to raise the bar and the expectation upon all church members. The work of ministry and serving in the church is for all of God's people. Now, this is a profoundly important principle because even for us in our day, we live in an individualistic and consumer society. We pay for all sorts of services. We outsource all sorts of services. And it can be easy when we come to church to expect to be a consumer like we are in so many other of our transactional movements and relationships. I come here and I am served by the person at the front, by the people on the teams who are here to serve me. And yet the priesthood of all believers is of critical importance. It is in the Bible and it is to be rediscovered Uh, It has been rediscovered throughout church history and we need to keep holding on to it today to see the role that all of us have in the church. You know, it's just over six years ago we started gathering this church in uh, our lounge room, Rowena and I, in our home just north of the city uh, for the very first team gathering. The aircon wasn't working. We probably had slightly too many people squished into that lounge room, but we began dreaming. We began praying about what God might do through a new work here in Brisbane. And I wanted to make it clear in that first team meeting and many team meetings after that, uh, I, I said something along the lines of this. I said, look, Rowena and I are not planting a church. We are looking for a team of people who will plant this church together. By God's grace, from that very first meeting and ever since, this church has been built on the sacrifice of many humble and courageous leaders. You see, it's not just the clergy. If if you're unfamiliar with the language of clergy, it's just a technical term for ordained church workers. It's not just the clergy. What a weird word. It's not just the, the pastors, the staff, those that have gone to theological college. Those are good things. It's not just them who serve in the church, but all believers are called to be part of the action. If you are a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you are a holy priest. You are a royal priest. And so the question that we're asking is, well, what place do I have in the church? 
Well, Peter is writing to all the elect exiles back in the first century in the region that we now would call Turkey. And his answer then, and indeed his answer now, is that you have a place in the church. And you have a place in this church. Look, you might be thinking, oh my goodness, I only just realised I'm a priest. Wow, what am I going to wear to work? What do I even have to do as a priest? Like, What does this job involve? And so the follow-up question to what place do I have in the church, you've got a place, is, well, what do we do then as priests? What I want to show you from our Bible reading from tonight is uh, three things that priests do, three ways that priests serve. And I need you to listen really carefully because this is, again, this is not just for a couple of people in the room. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is for you. Uh, If you're investigating Jesus, we're so glad that you're here. But this is kind of what you're signing up to. You're signing up to become a priest in the church of Jesus Christ. And so three things that we all ought to listen to that are relevant for all Christians throughout all time. Who's ready for the three things? That was the lamest woo I've ever heard. But that's okay. You're, You're wooing in your heart. I know that. Well, the first thing the priests do, number one, is we offer sacrifices through Christ. Number one, what do we do as priests in the church of Jesus Christ? We offer sacrifices through Christ. You know, in the Old Testament, uh, the, the priests, those from the tribe of Levi who were called out in particular to serve God and to serve the people, they offered sacrifices Uh, I've been reading, I've just finished reading through the book of Leviticus and Leviticus is filled with a whole bunch of the sacrifices that the Levites were called, the priests were called to make. And there's a lot of blood involved in the sacrifices that are offered in the Old Testament priesthood. We too are to offer sacrifices, but with a difference. Have a look at verse 4 with me. Uh, Hey, if you don't have a Bible, um, uh, we'd love to gift you with one. And so please see our team at the info desk on your way out. Uh, We'd love to put a paper copy of the Bible in your hands, but most of the verses will also pop up on the screen tonight. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 4 says, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. He begins, as you come to him. 1 Peter is filled with invitations. Come to him. Come to Jesus. How is Jesus described there in verse 4? He's described as the, the living stone. And he's the living stone because he's the one who was raised from the dead. We've already heard back in chapter 1 about our living hope. And our living hope is because Jesus rose from the dead. We don't have a dead hope. Our hope is alive because our King and Saviour is alive. Verse 4, yes, he was rejected by men, but his mission was clear. He was chosen by God. He was precious to him. He is, Jesus is the living stone. But look what it then says about us. It says, you yourselves, verse 5, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the living stone, but we too are living stones because we are in Him. We have union with Christ. We are united to Jesus. We have a resurrection hope. Jesus was raised from the dead, and so our hope is, like Jesus' tomb is empty, our tombs will also 
be empty. But as living stones, do you see what's happening to these living stones? They are being built up into a house, a spiritual house. You see, as followers of Jesus, we're not just individual stones living in isolation by ourselves. We we are being built up into a house together as the people of God. Brothers and sisters, this is you if you're a follower of Jesus. You belong in the house of God, in this spiritual structure of God. You know, the last couple of years has been a tricky time to gather. There's been all sorts of awkward expressions of church and online church and Zoom church and a bunch of different restrictions and they've been annoying and and God willing, they're temporary. Uh, and, And yet, thanks be to God, we have been able to get together in different ways over the last couple of years. But as far as we are able, we are to gather as the people of God physically in the house of God. Again, not that this church building or the cinema across the road is particularly special or spiritual. We are called, though, to gather together in the house of God by being with the people of God. You see, when you become a Christian, we we ought no longer presume to live as individuals in an individualistic society. We ought not presume that we can do life on our own. We are called to be part of the building. This is who you are. You are a living stone in Jesus, the living stone, together being built up as a spiritual house strong in the Lord. But again, it says there that we are a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. We've already spoken a bit about a holy priesthood, but continue reading there in verse 5, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What do we do? If it wasn't clear already, the first thing that we are called to do is offer spiritual sacrifices, offer sacrifices through Jesus Christ. The whole idea there of offering a sacrifice is that of offering of our whole lives to God, our whole lives in service of Him. The Apostle Paul in Romans 12 says, in view of everything you've just read, in view of the mercy of God shown in Christ Jesus, offer your life as a spiritual sacrifice. Offer your whole body, your whole self, your whole being as worship to God. And here's the good thing. It says, offer spiritual sacrifices. That is, there's no longer a need for us to offer a sacrifice for sin. That's good news. As you read the Old Testament sacrifices, we see animal after animal after animal. We see shed blood after shed blood after shed blood. We see it again and again and again. And yet Jesus is the one who has once and for all offered a sacrifice for sin. We'll spend more time on that in chapter 3. But Jesus himself is the once and for all sacrifice for sin. He is the sinless dying in the place of sinners. He is the innocent dying for the guilty. He is the righteous dying for the unrighteous. Jesus not only lives the perfect life on our behalf, but he dies a sacrificial death in our place. That there is no longer a sacrificial system whereby we need to shed any more blood to sacrifice for sin. Jesus has paid it all. His sacrifice is sufficient. He's lived for us. He's died for us. And he's the living stone. He is alive. He's triumphed over 
the grave. This is good news. Look, this is good news for you this evening if you're not yet a follower of Jesus. We are so glad that you are here uh, on any particular work, at, work, on any particular week at City on a Hill. We have people who are investigating Jesus. We are so glad that you would come uh, and we think this is a safe place to consider who he is and what he has done. I love meeting people who are wrestling with the questions of, of why Jesus came and, and the claims of Jesus upon our lives from the Bible. Uh, and I want you to hear clearly, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, one, you're welcome here, but hear very clearly that you don't need to do something. You don't need to make some type of sacrifice to deal with your sin. That is really good news. You, you don't have to come here to earn anything. Jesus offers to deal with your past, with your present, with your future sin. And so the invitation from Jesus is, come to me. I've paid it all. I've done it all. My sacrifice is sufficient for you. Look, if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, and maybe you've been coming for a little bit, or maybe you've been coming for quite some time, and you're ready to kind of actually say, yeah, thank you. You're ready to come to him. Uh, let me urge you to do that. Let me urge you to even do that tonight. Come and speak with me, speak with one of our team out at the info desk. We'd love to have a conversation and, and help you to put your trust in Jesus even tonight and to say yes and to say thank you to him for who he is and what he has done in his life, in his death and in his resurrection. Uh, please uh, make yourself known. We would love to talk with you tonight. But look, for those of us who are already believers in Jesus Christ, in the living stone. You are a holy priesthood. And, and you are to sacrifice yourself, not to earn God's favour. Here's the good news. Even your lamest attempts to sacrifice to God are acceptable to Him if you are in Christ. Did you notice the verse? Look at it again. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Why are they acceptable to God? Look at the final three words, through Jesus Christ. Whatever we've got, whatever we offer is acceptable to Christ through Jesus Christ because of our union with him, because of our relationship with him. And so we sacrifice freely. We pour ourselves out not to be saved, but as those who have been saved by the sacrifice of Christ, those who are now in Christ, this is our whole of life response. You know, uh, just before I've jumped up tonight, uh, Stephen was up the front and interviewing Zach and a, a call out that we've done last week and we've done this week to join different teams. I want you to, I want you to understand this, that this wasn't planned, uh, that it would line up with this passage. We kind of had already made the plan to do this and then in the last week or two we've gone, hey, that actually ties in with the passage really well. Uh, that wasn't planned by us, but God in his providence has a plan. Uh, I just want to say thank you to the many people who are already offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. There are so many people in our church selflessly serving and you are living out that call to be a holy priest in the church of Christ. But look, as you hear that call tonight, as you even hear Steve's call to get out your phone and scan the QR code and you don't do a thing about it, let me urge you not to ignore the call, not to ignore the call if you are a follower of Jesus to give yourself to serving in this church as a holy priest. 
You know, we, we speak about strategic priorities of church. That's weird language, blah, blah, blah. What's strategic priorities? It's the things that we're trying to do. There's kind of four areas of, of teams that we're continuing to build things for. We want to pioneer mission and mercy, and we're always looking for more people to help us to make Jesus known and help us to pray, prayerfully and carefully care for the practical needs of people in our community. We're looking for people to help us to grow communities of life, love, and mission. To, to build the depth within our community that we so long for. And as we kind of highlighted tonight, we're constantly looking for people to build gospel gatherings with us. So many different teams, all working together, uh, part of what we do Sunday by Sunday. And fourthly, we're looking to equip the next generation. We're thankful there's a whole bunch of city kids and city youth volunteers in the house tonight. Uh, We are thankful for you. We're keen to keep building those teams. We're keen to see more and more people give whatever they've got to be part of these teams to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Whatever time you've got, whatever talents you've got, or even if you feel like you, you haven't got much in the way of time or talents or capacity, your offering is precious. Your offering is acceptable as you serve the church. It is of value. It is used by God to build this house as together we operate as a kingdom of priests serving Jesus and serving each other. What do we do? As priests, number one, we offer sacrifices through Christ. Number two, we remain centered on Christ. For those taking notes, number two, we remain centered on Christ. Now, kind of as we keep moving through the passage, verse six to verse eight is where we'll focus. And this really flows on from verse four and verse five in the previous section. We're going to get a bunch of Old Testament quotes that show something of the background of the stone language that we've just heard about Jesus. Have a look with it. Have a look with me at verse six. It says, for it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honour is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. You know, we've seen, verse 4 to 5, that Jesus is the precious living stone, And here in verse 6 to 8, we hear how central Jesus is to be. He's described in there as the cornerstone. Uh, Now, there's been debate over the years on whether it should be translated cornerstone or capstone. Uh, For those that aren't familiar with building and grand designs in the ancient world, cornerstones, I understand, uh, were the foundational stones that were kind of in the bottom corners of the building, the foundation that the whole structure was built upon. And the capstone, though, was at the top of the apex, the the final stone that would hold the whole building together. And there's an argument. Was it supposed to be Jesus is the cornerstone or Jesus is the capstone? Which way should we translate it? It doesn't really matter. I think he's both, right? 
He is, he is under and he is over. He is central to the household. He is the foundation upon which we are built. He is the head of the church that holds all things together by his powerful word. He is the living stone. He is the centerpiece of the structure. And we as smaller living stones are brought together by him. And so we focus on him in all things. You know, these quotes in verse 6 to 8 uh, help us to see that what we do with Jesus matters. Yes, he's the one who has been rejected and we can reject him. You can reject him. But I hope you even hear of the danger of rejecting Jesus is that one day he will reject you. And the call is right now to take hold of him, to focus in on him, to lock your eyes on him, to center your life upon him. Have a look at verse six again. It says, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Look at this. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. I just want to stop there just for a moment. Isn't that good news? Isn't that a wonderful hope? There's enough people in this room that there are, there are those of us here tonight who are holding on to shame. You feel ashamed because of your sin, because of your folly, because of the ways in which you've rejected God. And it, it may not just be something historical. It might be the last 24 hours. You're, you're carrying a great weight of guilt and shame because of the things that you have left undone, because of the sins that you have committed, because of the ways that you have failed to love God, failed to love your neighbor. You've sinned in thought, word and deed. And there's other of us, others of us here who feel a deep sense of shame, not because primarily of our own sin, but because of sin committed against us. The gospel of Jesus Christ is good news. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. You don't have to carry your shame, either for your own sin or for the sin committed against you. Jesus carries our shame. Jesus takes it to the cross. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The opposite is actually true. You you will not be put to shame, verse 6, but you, verse 7, will get... So the honour is for you who believe. You will actually receive glory. You will receive honour when you believe in Christ Jesus. He takes our shame. He gives us his honour. You know, one of the things I'm struck by as I read this paragraph here is just the absolute centrality of Jesus in Scripture. The absolute centrality of Jesus in the church. You know, my desire as a disciple of Jesus is really simple. I'm not a particularly complex person. I want to bang on every single week of my life about Jesus. He's all I've got to offer you. And you need to understand, he is all that you need. I've got a really simple message. And you only need a really simple message. As a church, we want to keep the gospel on repeat. We want to remain centered upon him. The call for us as priests in the church of Jesus Christ, is that we would remain centred on Jesus. And that that's not just the priest up the front with the microphone. That each of us in our community life together, that we would work hard 
that we would never move on from Jesus Christ, that we'd keep him at the center of our personal life, that we would keep him at the center of our family life, that we would even keep him at the center of our work life, and that we would keep him at the center of our shared church life together. What do we do as priests? Number one, we offer sacrifices through Christ. Number two, we remain centered on Christ. The third and final thing for those taking notes, number three, we proclaim excellencies of Christ. Number three, we proclaim excellencies of Christ. Uh, This final section, we're going to look at verse 9 and verse 10, uh, again, uh, has important Old Testament background. Uh, One of the things I've said over the last couple of weeks is not only do we have lots of Old Testament quotes, we've got pretty much every verse has some type of Old Testament allusion. Uh, And so I want to just take you to kind of some of the background in this paragraph. In the Old Testament minor prophet, uh, Hosea, we hear a powerful story told. Uh, In the book of Hosea, we learn about Hosea, who represents God, and Gomer, his wife, is representative of Israel. Uh, And Hosea had been directed by God to name his children in a way that would teach Israel important lessons. And so, first, a son was born, his name Jezreel, which means God scatters. And it was to point to God's judgment of his people. The second child was a daughter and her name was Lohurama. Her name means not pitied. The third child was a son, Loami, and his name means not my people. You can read about this in Hosea chapter 1. Pretty cool names for your kids, right? God scatters, not pitied, not my people. Now, they're negative names, and yet they were supposed to teach Israel about the seriousness of the predicament that they found themselves in. However, even in the story of Hosea, it's not we need to wait till the New Testament. Even in Hosea itself, we see that God is a God of grace and mercy. And even in Hosea, we see the promise that God will transform the threats built into these three children's names and transform them into blessings. Uh, Jezreel will be planted in the land. The Lord will have mercy on Lu-Rama. And he will say to Lo-Ami, you are my people. Again, you can read about this in Hosea chapter 2. You see, the book of Hosea ultimately paints a beautiful picture of even a sinful nation like Israel. God is ready and willing and able to show his redemptive love for all of his people. Pick it up with me. Chapter 2, verse 9. It says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you you see in verse 10? Uh, It may not be a direct quote, but it's a clear allusion back to the book of Hosea and back to that wonderful promise of being the people of God, a people who have had the mercy of God bestowed upon them. You know, God has been so gracious to us. Apart from Christ, you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Apart from Christ, you had not received mercy from God, 
but in Christ now you have received mercy. Isn't he good to us? Isn't he gracious to us? And not only are we his people, but I love this paragraph, how God clearly gives us a picture of our assignment as those who belong to his people. Our purpose uh, as those who are on mission together. Uh, This this paragraph is powerful in showing both in our life and in our life together as the church who we're supposed to be, how we're supposed to live, what our purpose is as the people of God. Look back at chapter, uh, not chapter 9, look back at chapter 2 verse 9 again with me. Uh, He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You see, those who belong to Jesus belong to a special people, a chosen people, a a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's possession. Uh, Again, we could go back and have a look at each and every single one of these phrases and see the significance with which each of them are packed with. This is who God's people in the Old Testament were supposed to be. But basically it's saying that if we now in Christ Jesus are one of God's people, we are these things. We are these things that Israel never quite attained, never quite got to because of the ongoing pattern of sin in their life. But this side of the coming of Christ, we are the things listed there in verse 9. We are God's people. We are set apart from the world. We have a privileged position as members of God's nation, a spiritual people gathered in Christ. But I love the second half of verse 9 there. It says, this is who you are, that you. You see that in the middle of verse 9? That you. We're about to learn of our purpose, the purpose for which we are the people of God. It says, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That you, that we as royal priests, would do this in response to what he has done for us, that we would proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvellous light. You know, when you think that something is excellent, um, it's really easy, isn't it, to proclaim how excellent it is? As you think about the last week, as your team wins, or as you dine at a fine restaurant, or watch a good movie, or go on an amazing holiday to a wonderful destination, we, we proclaim the excellencies of the things that we see are excellent and the things that we experience. And so the call here is that as those who know that God is excellent and most excellent, with our words, we tell people how excellent God is. We tell people how awesome God is. He is the one who has rescued us, who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Again, you've got Exodus-type themes there, even with that language. In Jesus, look, if there is a good news story to be told in the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible, of the way that God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt and brought them out by his mighty hand and his outstretched arm, if that was a good news story, we have an even greater Exodus. We have an even greater redemption in Christ Jesus. And we speak of the excellencies of the one who has rescued us. We say, this is who I was. This is what Christ has done. And this is who I am now. We speak up. We speak bravely and boldly of how excellent our rescuer is from transferring us from darkness and bringing us into 
the light of his son. You know, I want you to think for a moment about your words. And as you think about the week ahead, as you think about the people around you at uni, at work, at um, cafes, uh, online, as the people around you listen to the words you speak, what would they think you think is excellent? What can you just not help but speak about? Affirm, lift up, proclaim. You see, knowing Jesus and being a citizen in his nation, being one who's called out of darkness into light, a holy priest, a chosen people, that is truly excellent. How can you even this week use your words to let people know just how excellent Jesus is to you and what a difference he has made in your life? Now, some of you right now are joining some dots and you're thinking, wait, hang on. I think Dave is telling us to share Jesus with people. And you're like, oh no, there's no, there's no way I can do that. I feel so ill-equipped. I feel so inadequate for that task. And yet we, we've got to remember something. You're not alone. Look at verse 10 again. You were not a people, but you now are my people, are God's people. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We do this together as the people of God. We proclaim the excellencies of Christ, not just as individual stones having a crack. We can do that, but as a collection of stones built together on mission, we proclaim how excellent Christ is. This is part of our role as priests. We serve not only inside the church, but we serve the world outside, shining the light of Christ that others would see what Jesus is offering in and through his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his triumphant resurrection. We reach out to a world that is actually in darkness. We reach out to a world that is lost and, and, uh, and unable to get out of their predicament. We say, we know the way, we know the light, we know the truth. We know Jesus and we know what he has done to rescue people. You know, and as a community, uh, as gospel communities, uh, they've just gone back this last week, communities of life, love and mission scattered around our city. If you're not yet in one, come here this Wednesday night uh, for our gospel community greenhouse to get inserted in one of these gospel community groups. But gospel communities are an excellent way to both live out being the people of God. But as we think about the rhythms of gospel community life, Uh, We've even built into that something called Gospel Outpost. Every fifth week in our gospel communities, uh, an opportunity just to build intentional relationships for my unbelieving friends to become friends with my believing friends, for your unbelieving friends to become friends with our believing community, that we would introduce people to each other, And not necessarily in the very first conversation, but in time, have opportunities to make much of Jesus and to lift up his name. I've loved one of the things that has happened on repeat in our church is people have boldly made Jesus known to their friends. And I've loved meeting your friends. And I've loved you meeting my friends. I bring friends to church. And I love that they get connected, not just to me, but they get connected to you. And together we can shine the light of Christ. Together we can proclaim the excellencies of him who called us from darkness to light. You know, earlier on, Steve spoke about how um, all of our ministry teams ultimately fit under that banner of knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. You see, whatever part you play, 
You have the opportunity, as we are on mission, whatever part you play behind the scenes, up front and everywhere in between, we're all part of that one mission together, that we would know this Jesus, the living stone, more deeply and that we would make him known, proclaiming his excellencies to the ends of the earth. Brothers and sisters, we are a holy and royal priesthood. You're a priest. Remember that. You have an opportunity to serve as we offer sacrifices through Christ, as we remain centred on Christ, and as together we proclaim the excellencies of Christ. You know, we began talking about a disaster of a building project, and let me be honest, this church will let you down, the church will let you down, and this church will let you down. I will let you down. People in your gospel community will let you down. And guess what? You will let each other down as well. It's not just you're being the one let down. We're all reasonably good at letting each other down and maybe not being there in a way that we should. We strive for unity, though. We strive to deal with the issues in our community and to grow closer in the midst even of conflict and strife and difficulties. But let me urge you that even though you may feel let down now or you will feel let down in the future, don't give up on the community. Don't give up on the church Don't give up on being a priest and part of serving in the church. We're all in this together. I want to close with this verse from Christian rapper Lecrae about the church. He says this, I'm talking about the church. I know she may look gritty, but man, come back, she's going to look so pretty. She the church, you might see her acting crazy, Be patient with her, yo, because she's still God's baby. She the church. Before you diss her, get to know her. Jesus got a thing for her and he died just to show her. She the church. She ain't bricks and buildings. She's all of God's people, men, women and children. We the church. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are the church. We who once weren't a people now are your people. We who once hadn't been shown mercy have been shown mercy. Father, you are so kind. You have called us from darkness and you've called us into your light. Father, thank you so much that you have called us to belong to Jesus. And Father, we want to thank you and we want to praise you uh, that we get to serve in the church. We get to serve as priests. We're thankful for leaders. We're thankful for leadership. Uh, But give us a vision tonight to see the role that all of us have as holy priests and royal priests, that we would indeed sacrifice and serve, that we would remain centred on Christ, that we would proclaim boldly the excellencies of Christ. Father, we thank you and we praise you for what Jesus has done to gather us together as your people. And Father, we know that there's times when uh, the church might... uh, it might be a bit ugly. <laughs> there might be times when it's a bit messy. There might be times when we are hurt. Father, we pray even in and through that you'd help us to keep loving your bride and loving one another, knowing what Christ has done and know how Christ is at work in all things for our good and for our joy and ultimately for the glory of your holy name. Uh, Father, would you be with us this week as we continue to process and think through uh, the things that we have discussed tonight? Uh, And Father, we pray that you would do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine uh, through our church this year, 
uh, and every year until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. And it's in his name that we all pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.